Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the marketing podcast for marketers, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. Uh, in today's episode, you'll learn how to grow your organic traffic with search-focused content marketing and hopefully reach 1,000 monthly visitors or more. My guest today is the founder of The Growth Machine, uh, which is a done-for-you content and SEO solution. He's also the host of the podcast, Make You Think, that basically examines ideas that, as the, as the name of the podcast say, make you think. Previously, he, he was doing marketing for Zapier or Sumo. And an interesting fact about my guest today is that he reads shitloads of books and he takes notes on them. <laughs> and gives you access to these notes, uh, you just need to pay for it. I think that's quite an interesting business model. So Nat Eliason, welcome aboard. Thank you, I'm excited to be here. So to backtrack a bit, because we can go straight away into why it's important to get, uh, like how to get more visits on your blog and how to grow a business with content marketing and, and all of those. But I want to backtrack and think more about the, the principles behind it. So why, like from your perspective, why is it so important to get visits from search engines on your business blog or on your like for your business, why is it so critical? There's a few reasons. I think you know the the most obvious one is that you're you're not constantly paying for it, right? the The trouble with AdWords and Facebook ads is that there's diminishing marginal returns over time. So the longer you run an ad for a certain product and after certain keywords, over time, it's gonna get more and more expensive to get new customers from that source, right? So ads kind of get worse over time. And Andrew Chen has a great article about this, which is sort of the trap of building your business on ads. Right, which is that you'll you'll use ads to grow your sales, and then you'll need more money to continue scaling your ads, and so you have to raise money, and you can actually end up at a point where you've built a huge revenue business, but you're still burning money, you know, years down the line. Uh, the nice thing with content marketing and SEO in particular is that once an article is created and up there, it requires very little maintenance for it to continue bringing in traffic and basically very little ongoing cost. So you could write an article that you publish today that sits on the top of Google for the next two years and brings in, you know, a hundred to a thousand visitors a day. You know, I've got articles that I wrote over three years ago now that still bring in, uh, you know, well over a thousand visitors a day. And I'm doing nothing with that content to continue getting right. that traffic. And so if you can, find a content area where people are looking for answers and you can, you know, write good articles about it and you can get them ranked on Google, that's much cheaper traffic than you're getting from ads. And so it's a good way to balance out your acquisition so that you're not paying through the nose just to get each new customer. And I, I keep repeating that on the podcast, but I think repetition is absolutely key. The interesting thing about, about what you're discussing, the interesting things about content and SEO is that it's, it's rooted in, in humans, uh, psyche and, and human behavior. Uh, you can rely on those channels to work 
for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Yes, things will change. People will search for things differently, but people will always look for information somewhere. They will always search for things, whatever it is. And people will always try to get better or do something better. They will always try to find answers and they will always like you know, to get help or to find methods to do X, Y, and Z, right? So whatever the, the format we use, I mean, this is not a stupid growth hack that is going to work in the next two months and then it's going to stop, right? Yeah, exactly. The, the core principles of creating good information and helping people find it, you know, that's worked as a promotion strategy for, you know, 2000 years. It's not new. Uh, there's just a new medium of doing it, which is Google and the little intricacies of what works and what doesn't, those are going to change. But like you said, the underlying idea that good information is a way to attract customers, that's always been true and will continue to be true. It, there seems to be this mental threshold or this threshold of like this number, 100,000 monthly visitors on a blog, business blog or, or on your website, right? So I assume a lot of businesses come to you with less than that, or maybe more and they want to scale, but thinking about those people who have less than that, and I can feel a lot of my, a lot of listeners are probably in this situation, right? They would love to have 100,000 uh, monthly visitors to their website and blog. So from your experience, what is the biggest problem, the biggest challenge that prevents them from, from reaching this magic number? Yeah, there's two sides to this, uh, and, and I see both. The first one is impatience. So if you're listening to this and your blog is, and let's say that you've never grown a blog to 100,000 monthly uniques before. If your blog is less than two years old and you've published fewer than 150, 200 articles, you probably shouldn't be there anyway. I think a lot of people will read these articles about you know, a site scaling from zero to 100,000 monthly uniques in six months. And then they think, oh my gosh, I'm such a failure. You know, why hasn't my site done that? Uh, and, and you got to be honest with yourself that it takes a lot of time and a lot of consistent effort and a lot of it with, you know, basically nothing to show for it in the beginning, right? You, you might get no traffic for the first six months or, you know, fewer than 50 visitors a day. And that's totally normal. So you have to first get over the, the impatience uh, element. But, you know, if you've been doing it for a few years and you've got a few hundred articles up there and you're still, you know, not at 100,000 or even 50,000 monthly uniques from Google, then it really going to be one of a couple things. You know, the first one is just, are people looking for what you're talking about? Uh, a lot of people think that they can sort of write about whatever and it will have search potential, but that's just not true, right? If you're writing about how to knit super intricate hedgehog sweaters, right? Like not a lot of people are looking for how to do that each month. You're, there probably aren't a hundred thousand people to even come read your blog. And so you have to actually be writing about something that people are searching for. Um, but assuming you're doing that, then the next most common thing is really just content quality. Uh, when we, and we, we primarily work with businesses that have already put some effort into blogging and it's just not working for them. And they're trying to figure out why they're not getting traffic from Google. And what we come in and do, I'd say 95% of cases is point out that, Hey, you know, your, your articles just aren't that good. 
you're turning out, you know, 500 to a thousand word articles that are written like a high school, you know, essay that aren't particularly useful or solve the problem someone is trying to solve by searching this term. And the, the question you kind of have to ask looking at every single article is, does this article deserve to be the one that Google serves up as the answer to this question? And the only way that's going to happen is, you know, if to a reasonable extent, your article is seen as the best piece of information on the internet on that subject. And I, you know, most people don't hold their content to that level of quality. They aren't hitting that bar. And that tends to be the biggest reason that they aren't ranking. They think they can just churn something out and, oh, it'll be fine, it'll rank. But if you're not going, you know, completely in depth and totally solving the problem or answering the question that somebody has when they plug that term into Google, you're not going to rank. And so what we'll do is we'll go in and we'll take these old articles uh, that people at the company have written and, you know, we'll expand them. We'll make them more in depth. We'll give them better citations. We'll uh, make them longer. We'll make them more actionable. We'll, you know, add images, republish them. We'll try to make them the best piece on the web that we can uh, for that question. And doing that in particular, you know, we've doubled or tripled the organic traffic to some sites within two or three months. It's actually pretty amazing the gains you can get uh, going back and revitalizing your old stuff. And these are even for sites that are already doing 100,000, right? Like we had one site that we worked with that we took from, uh, I want to say about 30,000 uniques per week to over 120,000 uniques per week without publishing any new content, just refurbishing the old stuff. And we did that in about four or five months. So that that's pretty much always the best place to start if you have been doing this a while and you have published a lot is go back and say, okay, which of these articles are about things people are legitimately looking for and how can I make them the best piece of information on the web about that subject? So thanks for the, the thorough answer. I guess the main thing that happened like in my mindset in the last few years and recently few months was like, I always knew, you know, when you write about something, it needs to be the best fucking content out there about this particular topic, right? So, and it used to right. overwhelm me. It used to be so challenging for me to think, okay, wow, I need to compete against like Business Insider and those massive website, massive blog who, who know their shit. And I have to write something like 10x better, five times better every time. And I felt completely demotivated until I discovered something that I had in the back of my mind, but I, you know, when you read something uh, that you kind of already know, but someone else is telling you this, you, you're like, fuck, okay, you know, I, I need to follow that. I read this super interesting article by, uh, you probably know them, by uh, the guys from uh, Grow and Convert, uh, which is a content marketing mm -hmm. agency. And they talk about the specificity, specificity strategy, right? And I think this is probably the key to write quality content or to produce quality content out there. It's the fact that you can write the best content on the internet as long as you pick a very specific and practical, you know, actionable angle. So instead of talking about marketing in general uh, or content marketing in general or SEO content marketing in general, you can dive into the very nitty gritty specific challenges, specific problems and write the best answer on the internet for that. And that's going to start, I think, uh, to to bring the result you need, right? So I think 
when you say that, you know, when we talk about quality content and it needs to be 10x better, a lot of people felt probably the same, feels the same way than I used to feel. And that really removed this mental roadblock, right? Yeah, well, it's it's hard to create that quality content in a broad area or in an area where you don't have experience and knowledge, right? So we, you know, at Growth Machine, we work with a dozen different clients in different industries, but we're not the experts in any of those industries. We're experts in the strategy and what we have to do, and this is probably one of the hardest parts of the process, is we go out and we find writers who are subject matter experts and extremely experienced in that area to write the content. Because if you don't have some personal understanding that you can bring to the table, then the content's really going to fall flat. And people who are reading it, who do know something about that area are going to know that you're just spinning, right? Like you're just sort of making stuff up in order to try to rank. Uh, And you don't want to do that, right? You want to only try to create content that can rank in an area where you have experience and expertise. And that's how you're going to do that specificity strategy. It's how you're going to create something useful is by bringing some of that personal knowledge to the table. Another thing that is connected to that, right, is let's say even if you have no clue about a specific topic, but you're a very curious person, you can do basically what we're doing right now, which is talking, interviewing experts or successful customers who know their stuff way more than you do. And your job is just as a journalist almost to to uncover the tips, to uncover the challenges, the, the methodologies that those people use to be successful and just literally talking about them and, and putting them forward uh, is a great way to build credibility and starting to also rank for certain things because you can straight away, like let's say I interview you right now about SEO content marketing. And there's a specific point of the interview, you share something super specific, super interesting. And I feel like, okay, I could write a blog post about this as long as there is a keyword uh, that has, that as long as there is demand for this topic, I could write it without a lot of knowledge from it because I got your knowledge. Yeah, that, that's a good way to do it too, right? Is if you can do a good job of summarizing information from other people, that can be a pretty good search strategy as well. I mean, you, you mentioned my book notes in the intro, and I publish pretty much all of those on my site as well, sort of in a separate section from the blog. And it's really just me summarizing or pulling out the main points from these books. But I've got 200 some of them up now, and they bring in about 50,000 visitors a month alone, just from people searching for summaries and info from these books. And it's not you know, the, the areas the books are covering are not things I have any expertise in, but just by doing a good job summarizing the main notes and takeaways, uh, that's turned into a really good SEO strategy as well. So yeah, you can completely do that. So let's, let's go into a step-by-step kind of scenario, uh, shall we? And the scenario is, I think, let's take a website, a blog that is not getting 100,000, uh, uniques a month, right? And even more challenging, I think, let's get a, a blog that doesn't have those 150 to 100 to 150 pieces already there to play with, right? So let's take the scenario yeah. of a blog that is roughly starting out, not a lot of content out there. Like, how do you take this from the, the current situation to reaching those, this magic number of 100,000 uniques? And what is step one? Well, step one would be figuring out You know, if it is, like I said before, an area where search traffic makes sense, Uh, uh, you know, a personal travel blog is probably not going to be 
one of those areas. But if it is about a topic that people are looking for, you know, then you've checked off box one. So, you know, for, for this thought experiment, I'm going to use a site that we've built sort of as a company called uh, Cup and Leaf. And it's a blog about tea. Right. And we started the blog mostly because we saw that while the tea industry is very uh, inundated with companies, the the content wasn't. There weren't a lot of good tea-related blogs out there. So we said, okay, well, you know, maybe we can actually create a really good tea blog. And, you know, step one was going to one of these SEO or marketing tools and looking up some tea-related keywords to see if people were looking for them. And there's a lot of tools you can use for this. You can use the AdWords Keyword Planner if you want to stay free. There's a cheap one called Mangool's Keyword Research, I believe it's called, that you can use. I like Arefs, just A-H-R-E-F-S.com. I think they're great. And we would go into there and we would, you know, plug in some ideas for tea keywords, right? Like, you know, best green tea, like caffeine in black tea, how to brew oolong tea, stuff like that. Uh, and, and by the way, I've got a deeper article kind of on this strategy called the wiki strategy for anybody who wants like an even more detailed step-by-step than I'm going to give here. But that's, you know, that's step one. Are there topics out here? So how do you, uh, that people are looking for, how do you go about it? Cause mm-hmm. I, I know, I know it's tool specific, uh, but maybe try to answer this question by thinking if this episode is aired in five years, it is still going to be relevant. So what are the things that you kind of need to do regardless of the platform that you need to think about when it comes to is there demand for a topic and what type of subtopic or, or, or search terms can I start playing with? Yeah, I would say you should be able to come up with at least a hundred topics within an hour that somebody could search for. And sometimes you can do that programmatically. So for example, with tea, if I come up with an idea like how to brew black tea, then I've immediately got 10 article ideas because I can do that for every kind of tea. Uh, you know, if you're doing a blog about dog training, right, then one topic you might write is mannerisms of poodles, right? Like, or somebody Googling, like, what are, you know, what are, what is a poodle's behavior like? But now you've got 150 articles just on the behaviors of different dog breeds, right? So you want to have some way to come up with tons of topics because you don't, want a blog with just, you know, 50 very niche articles. Well, okay. That's fine. If you, if you do want to go that route, if you have a super stench thing, but if you're trying to build a huge amount of traffic, you need a good number of topics. So you want to kind of sit down and brainstorm and say, okay, what is everything I could write about? And, uh, does that pass this, you know, hundred ideas in an hour threshold? And there's a few ways you can cheat at this. The best one is actually to just go to other blogs in your niche and see what they're writing about. And this will really frequently give you good ideas uh, where you might say, oh, I didn't think about writing about, you know, or like history of tea. Right. But now I can write about the history of black tea, green tea, oolong tea, all of those. Uh, So getting ideas from other blogs is a great way to hack that process to make sure that you have a really good bulk of topics to to start with so literally if you have a team uh, or if you're on your own take a blank sheet of paper and start just you know wording out like topics and 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 any question that you might have and they might sound stupid right it might be it might sound very mm-hmm. stupid to you they might sound very basic to you but 
people are not in the same stage of like knowledge or awareness than you are. And therefore they'll always search for things that seem basic to you. So step one sounds like, yeah, brainstorming anything that comes to mind. I think a bonus is when you, when you talk to customers, when you have a good knowledge of your own customer base and know who they are, you're likely also to know what type of stuff they, they ask you about, right? Yeah, definitely. And I, I actually typically suggest using a spreadsheet, not doing it on a piece of paper. Because if you do it on a spreadsheet, then it's really easy to kind of create those automatic keyword generating formulas where, you know, if you come up with a form for a type of keyword, then you can kind of like drag it across all the variations within your category. So it, kind of like the example I gave before, right? You could come up with a few template keyword topics like how to brew black tea and then you can automatically create 10 more keywords for all the other types of tea and it's just a really quick way to fill out your list of initial keywords in kind of a cool spreadsheet magic-y way <laughs> so yeah step one sounds like yeah coming to as much topic as you can so you mentioned coming up with it yourself talking to customers looking at other websites to get ideas are there any other sources uh, you can advise people to to go after those are the main ones. You know, if you want to really get more in the weeds, the other thing that I'll do is I'll go into AREFs, the keyword tool I mentioned before. And just to be clear, this is not something you need to do. It's just something I find helpful. And I will take a keyword and then I'll, you can plug it in there and then you can look for things or it, it can show you keywords that the, the pages that rank for this keyword also rank for. So, for example, if I plug in uh, how to brew green tea and then, I, and then I look at other keywords that these pages rank for, I might see um, temperature, water temperature for green tea. And then I'll say, oh, you know, I didn't think of that as a topic. That could be a good article, too. Right. And then I'll add that to my list. And so that's just a third way to kind of speed up and broaden the brainstorming process. But with just those three techniques, you're going to get pretty far, assuming you're planning on writing about an area where there's a lot of search volume. Uh, and another thing briefly that I like to look at is, you know, actually typing the, the, the keyword in, in Google and look at the suggestions that Google comes up with. Usually that leads to a lot of different angles as well. Yeah, that, that can give you more ideas. My only problem with that strategy is that it usually recommends narrower, more specific ideas. Right. And in the beginning, you're trying to capture the really broad expanse. Right. So I feel like, yeah, that can be super helpful for narrowing down a specific, or actually, you know, where I find that is more helpful is coming up with subheadings within an article. Yes. Right. So you, you take a, a root keyword like, you know, how to brew green tea, and then you'll get all of those suggested searches that are more niche and boom, you've got all of your subheadings within the article. Like you, it basically just wrote your outline for you. Uh, and that's really, really helpful. All right. We need to dive in into that. I'm familiar with this uh, strategy, but I think we need to, we need to dive into that in the steps. So step one, come up with as many broad and different topics as you can. Uh, step two, I think you mentioned volume, right? And you started to basically, are those topics that you mentioned, are the people actually searching for those, right? Yep. So, and this is the other reason I like to do it in a spreadsheet is that once you've got that initial 100 plus set of ideas, you can just copy and paste all of them into a tool like AREFs and do a bulk search on 
their search engine stats. So if I've got 150 keywords, I copy them, paste them into AREFs, and then it shows me how many people are searching for each of those keywords and how hard it will be to rank them. So what that tells me is, you know, A, is this an area worth going after uh, because people are looking for it? And B, could I actually rank on these keywords given the difficulty? So, you know, a few different scenarios could play out. You could have keywords that tons of people are searching for, but that are really high difficulty, which, you know, tells you that you probably don't want to go after them, especially as a newer blog, because you're just not going to rank in the near term, right? Like it's going to be demotivating. It's going to be extremely hard. It's going to be an uphill battle. You don't want to start there. Um, Sometimes you'll have keywords that are really hard that no one is searching for just because they're super niche and high value and they're written by super authoritative sites. And that's like an even stronger don't bother. Uh, You could have keywords where they're very low difficulty, but also no one is looking for them. (laughs) And those aren't really worth writing about either, unless you've got a super high value product where even if you're only getting 100 visitors a month, you're, you know, you could still make money off of that and it could be worthwhile. Uh, but the real Goldilocks zone are the topics that have that high volume. And I usually look at a volume of 500 or higher uh, and that have a low difficulty. And low difficulty will vary based on your site. For a new site based on AREFs rankings, I usually look for stuff below 30 because what I've seen is that a newer site going after topics with difficulty below 30, it can reasonably start to rank in the four to six month time frame. And so that is kind of the Goldilocks zone I'm looking for. And the nice thing is that the tool lets you filter and say, okay, I only want to see the keywords that hit these criteria. And then you've got your initial topics that are worth going after. Um, I guess what I'm always trying to go back to is like, what if, what if this, someone hears this interview in five years or 10 years time and HRF mm-hmm. doesn't exist anymore and that kind of stuff. And so what you're saying is, I'm not trying to uh, reword it because it wasn't clear. I'm just trying to reword it when it comes to without any tools, what are the principles behind that? And you're basically trying to look at the lower, the low hanging fruits. So the, the things that people search for a lot that you can where you can have your result appear in front of them pretty quickly. So there's not a lot of competition, right? Yeah. And I'd even rephrase it a little differently and say the things that people are looking for a lot that nobody has done a good job of explaining yet. Right. Because, you know, even if you don't have a refs, an easy way to figure out if you could actually rank on this topic is just by going to Google and searching the keyword and then asking yourself, how good of an article is this, right? How, how thorough are they? How detailed are they? How many examples do they have? How many images do they have? How long is it? And if you're looking at it and you're going, you know, holy shit, this article is terrible, then (laughs) that's a great opportunity, right? But if you're looking at it and you're going, wow, you know, it's got 4,000 words and a custom infographic and they've got, you know, 500 comments on it. It's like, all right, this is probably not a good place to start. And your intuition on that is usually going to be pretty good so I, I think that's a really great way to do it as well yeah that happens that happens quite a lot where you're either absolutely surprised by the shitty quality of what you're saying yeah 
or by the sheer quality of what you're saying. But most of the time, it's the former rather than the latter, which which still means that there's absolutely massive opportunities. And obviously, there are always new problems and questions and challenges people come across, right? There's always new things. So there's all there will always be new opportunities for you to be, to have the best answer on the internet about a specific topic, uh, which is always nice to know. But sometimes I wonder when I do this exercise and I look at a keyword that we'd like to rank for, I'm thinking about it, and I look at the first page of results and I only see below par articles, I start questioning myself, thinking, am I missing something here? Is Are people actually liking those or is it just the best that Google can, can come up with? Yep. And you shouldn't be turned off by big names showing up near the top because a lot of, you know, like magazines, right? So if you see men's health or Cosmo or, you know, one of those types of sites showing up, that usually means that a more niched and focused site hasn't done a good job on the topic yet. So you can still completely rank for it, right? Like my, my personal blog outranks uh, those magazines on a number of topics. It's totally doable. Uh, and you should definitely not be turned off by social media sites showing up. So if you see, you know, Reddit or Pinterest in particular on the first page, that's usually a sign that it's a completely open field where you can really do a good job uh, uh, ranking on this topic. I mean, don't do this because this is kind of like, you know, black hat and frowned upon and shitty. But you if you search for a topic and a Reddit post shows up in the top three, you could basically just take the information in that Reddit post, summarize it into your own article and publish it. And you would probably outrank the Reddit post just because Google doesn't like showing stuff from Reddit and Pinterest when it can avoid it. So that's that's a really good sign that this is a topic that people haven't done a good job with yet. So that's why everyone hates marketers, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so do not do that. That's It definitely doesn't add much more value. Uh, but instead... If you see that, why don't you interview a few people if you don't know about the topic or, or, or try to gather information yourself and to provide a much better answer than what the Reddit post has provided, for example, right? Yeah, exactly. So let's say now we have, I'm just going to come back, come up with roughly, let's say we have 50 search terms, 50 things that people are searching for that we know we can safely say in like three, four, five, six months we will be able, we should be able to rank for it if we create something that is valuable, right? So then what's the mm -hmm. next step? What should we do? Well, if you've got your you know, list of topics and basically, you know, once you've filtered that down based on their, their difficulty and volume, that's really your content plan for the foreseeable future. And I typically recommend trying to do two to three articles per week. If you're just doing one, it's going to take so long to get a reasonable body of content up there that it's going to be hard to see results in the near term. And if you're doing way more than that, unless you've got a team of writers who you can throw at the problem, uh, you're, you're probably not going to be creating very good articles. So I like the two to three per week range. Uh, but once the, the content is created, you know, the, the real next challenge is how do you promote it to get an initial set of eyeballs on it? And I actually think this matters quite a bit less than other people will say it does because we put much less time and thought into promotion than we do to creating good content and it still works out totally fine. I, I think a lot of people like to focus on tons and tons of promotion stuff because 
they don't have to wait, right? Like they, they get impatient and they don't want to just, you know, wait a few months for it to start to rank. They want to do something now to see traffic and feel good about themselves. Uh, but, you know, whatever you can do to get some initial eyeballs on it helps, right? And that, that's as simple as posting to your personal Facebook, posting to whatever company social media you have. Uh, if you've got an email list, sending it out to that. It's like all the stuff you've heard before. Uh, there, there's really no like secret promotion tricks out there. The the only reason some people are better at promotion than others is that they've been doing it longer, right? They're, they're not doing anything particularly special. They just have more of an audience. And it's kind of counterintuitive, but when you don't have an audience, promotion doesn't do that much because you don't have that many people to push it out to. Uh, and when you do have a big audience, you don't really need to do promotion because people will find it anyway. So yeah. the, the, the question you kind of have to ask is what can I do to just generally grow my audience, right? Whether that's getting more email signups, Twitter followers, uh, Instagram followers. Uh, and you know, is there anything I can do that, allows me to leverage other people's audiences or other sites audiences. And that's where you can kind of get a big, uh, a big bump. The, the best ways to do that are typically some form of influencer marketing. So involving people in your content, uh, it's kind of like what you're doing here, right? It's, I'm going to send this interview to my email list and that's going to be, you know, thousands of more people who might listen to it than, or who might find it than otherwise would. Uh, so like a pod, an interview podcast is a perfect example. Or, uh, if you're doing, you know, I, and I, I don't like expert roundups. I strongly recommend somebody I strongly recommend marketers not do them because they're terrible articles and they're just written to try to get people to share your content. Um, but they typically do a good job of getting people to share them, right? Like that, yeah. that's, that's the, the conflict with them is that it's a terrible article, but you'll get all these people to share it. And so you'll get traffic and feel good about yourself. So the, the main thing, Define uh, what expert roundup is, uh, cause I know what you're talking about, but I, I assume some listeners might not know. Oh yeah. I mean, it's those articles where it's like, oh, 20 SEO experts tell what, tell you what you should do in 2019 for more traffic. Right. And that's not a useful article because it's, you're just going to get 20 random tips that you don't know what to do. It's like, uh, that book Tim Ferriss wrote, uh, tools for Titans or tools of Titans. Yeah. Like it was an incredibly useless book because it's just <laughs> 600 pages of like random shit in no particular order that mm -hmm. you have no idea what to do with, right? Like that's what an expert roundup is. It doesn't give you a step-by-step -step strategy. It doesn't tell you like, this is important. This is unimportant. It's just a way for the writer to get other people to promote their content. So whenever you see something like that, you should never read it. And you definitely shouldn't be creating more of that. But what it does a good job of is leveraging other people's audiences. So what you want to ask yourself is, how do I create something that can leverage another audience, but that is also useful? And so one-on-one -on -one interviews, I think, are great. Getting stories from people about how they did something. Uh, because they'll be much more invested in sharing that as well. Because they have a more you know personal connection with it. Where Or, you know, an, another version is doing something where you can leverage a community. So I like Reddit a lot. 
Uh, 90% of the time, if you post an article there, it's not going to do well, but the five or 10% of the time it does do well, you will just get a stupid amount of traffic from it. You know, I've had articles where you get 50,000 uniques in 24 hours just by doing well on Reddit. And that's pretty significant. It's a pretty significant bump in traffic. And that bump in traffic actually helps your articles rank faster. So that's kind of like the main big lever you can pull with promotion is how can you get another audience or community to do the work for you until you have an audience of your own? Um, I have plenty of questions on this, but I think we missed a step in between, mm -hmm. which is like the black box of, you know, we have the topics, we write them and then we promote them. So we mentioned one thing I want to go back to about the writing. And you, you said something very quickly, but it's super interesting. And I've learned that uh, at Hotjar, I'm the content lead there. And there's something I've recently learned how to do properly, which is outlining right and you mentioned yeah. you know actually using google for outlines is perfect you can do your h2s there so let's let's drill down into that right let, let, let's try to to nail this uh, particular way of writing articles that we have a certain chance of ranking for properly yeah it's i mean the, the first most important part is like i mentioned before having it written by someone who knows the area But if you don't have that, it's just not going to do well. So you want to make sure you get that right first. Second to that, though, it's kind of figuring out what are all of the tangential topics to this core keyword that I need to make sure I include in my article. And there's a few ways you can do that. You can just search the word and then look through what's currently ranking for it and see what they cover in their article, because that's a good sign that those tangential topics need to be covered in yours as well to outrank them. Uh, you can do the recommended keywords trick that we mentioned before. So you plug in the keyword and you see what else Google recommends you, you search uh, instead of it. You can use a tool to tell you to, to tell you what they are. Uh, I, that's what we use. I, I use one called ClearScope. And it's great because you can plug in a keyword and it'll give you the 50 or so tangential topics to that keyword that it thinks need to be in an article for it to rank. And that's just incredibly useful because it saves a lot of time on our end. Or you can do some of the stuff I mentioned before, like going into AREFs and saying, you know, what, what other keywords rank alongside this keyword? And that gives you a good idea of the tangential topics that you want to cover. And what we'll do is we'll get that list of, you know, it could be anywhere from 20 to 50 or 100 tangential topics for a keyword and then put them in a bulleted list and then move them around in order to figure out, okay, what order makes sense here in covering all of these and making sure that we're going as in-depth in this article as we need to, to outrank the other stuff on the first page. And that gives you a really good starting point for outlining your article because then you know the topics that need to be covered to beat out the competition. And from that, then you get into the actual narrative of it, right? You, you don't just want like a, a list of, you know, discordant topics, just trying to hit all the keywords. Nobody wants to read that. You want to create uh, a narrative that covers all of these topics in the most sensible order, you know, with good storytelling and explanations and citations and all of that. Um, And that last part about actually weaving it together into a good article is probably the hardest part of this whole thing. And it's where people are going to struggle the most because 
most people are much worse writers than they think they are. Uh, and it's hard to find really good writers. You know, we keep a database of about 1300 writers that we pull from for different projects. And the, the biggest reason someone will be disqualified is just not good enough writing quality. So it's hard. And you got to be really honest with yourself about whether or not you are a great writer who can beat the other writers who are on the first page. And if you're not, then you should probably try to hire someone to do it. Yeah, I'll just keep at it and keep at it and keep at it every single day. And you'll get better, right? That too. <laughs> if, you have, if you have the patience. Yeah, I've been doing it for five, six years now. And I've probably published, you know, thousands of articles and over a million words. It's like it takes a lot of work to yeah. get good at that stuff. And that's a very specific type of content too, right? The, the how-to explanatory content is very different from an essay, is very different from fiction, right? And you're not usually going to be a broadly good writer. You're going to be good in an area, um, so it's, it's fairly specialized knowledge. I've made peace with the fact that I'm a shitty writer, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and I, I've realized I'm much, much better interviewer and I'm much better at getting people, other people's stories and people to talk to me and then finding other people who are much better than me of like distilling that down into different formats. Thanks for going through that. Cause I think that was an important mention and, and the step from understanding what basically I know we are talking about a bit technically about SEO, but I just want to, it boils down to core principles. Once again, it just boils down to when someone has a question about a topic, like let's talk about black tea and they want to know how to brew it properly for, for the best, you know, taste. They definitely by definition have other things that they wonder. They wonder whether the tea is going to be burned at certain temperature. They might wonder, you know, so they have things in their head that they wonder about, right? And the, the way to know that is simply to just look at what Google tells you in terms of like what Google cares about, what, what type of topics relate to the main keywords. That's basically to say, trying to read people's mind, what they have in their mind, giving them the best answer out there so that when they read your article, they know, shit, this is exactly what I was looking for. Um, yep. That, that's kind of the, the underlying question you got to ask yourself, right? Is when somebody reads this article, are they going to not go back to Google and keep looking for more answers? And there is some, I think this is something that Google looks at, right? Obviously the algorithm that, that Google uses is updated every day. And it's not like, it's not that much of a black box, but there's one thing that I know they're looking for. It's like the time of Google, right? It's like when someone uses Google, search for something, click on the website, how long are they not going back to Google? You know, are they going back to Google straight away? Yep. Which literally means, well, actually that was a shitty answer. They didn't get me my answer. Or are they basically spending 20 minutes on this side before going back? Yeah, they, they definitely consider that. Uh, and if people are immediately going back to Google and continuing to look after reading your article, it's probably not going to rank very well. So then you mentioned about promotion. I want to go back to that. So you said like expert roundups are, are, are useless. Everyone is doing them. I agree. Although, as you said, a few people uh, still answer them and still share them. I would, I would challenge that not in the, in the essence of it, because I completely agree with you, but I would challenge the fact that exactly as you said at the end, you said, as long as it's a strategy on how to do things, uh, then that's a different ball game. So avoid for sure the, this kind of shitty, roundups where we just have 10 quotes one after the other with no value and it's all in disarray you don't know where to look a bit like as you said the team Ferris book um, and instead 
try to think about it in terms of a problem you want to solve or a tactic or a strategy you want to put together and definitely do use experts to help you to build it for you as long as you are able to put it back into a digestible step-by-step interesting you know answering all the questions type of article then that's in a different ball game isn't it yeah yeah if they're if you're getting people to add in information to supplement a narrative then i think that works pretty well but if you're just you know having a 40 item numbered list and it's like here's what nat said here's what justin said here's what anthony said right that's that's not useful um, and then you mentioned a, a few interesting things. So I, I too have tried Reddit to promote stuff in the past and it's definitely hit and miss. Sometimes you get insulted and get downvoted to the, to the oblivion. Sometimes it just picks up and, and it just goes crazy. It's the front page of the internet at the end of the day. So the traffic there is absolutely fucking massive. I will, I will just give you the one tip if, if people wanted to use Reddit as, uh, as the thing. I, what I try to do whenever I post on Reddit is I'm trying to imagine that I'm not posting on Reddit, that I'm writing an email to a good friend of mine and trying to explain things to this person in detail so that they don't have to just click on the link and be like, you know, I, I want to figure that on my own. I'm trying to treat the community as a very, uh, how do you say that? Uh, someone who questions shit a lot, like this friend, you know, who always very conscious about it and always ask a lot of questions and want to know stuff before they click anything. And I try to put this mindset all the time, force me to do that. And usually, I mean, 50% of the time, the community answers positively, 50% not that much. Uh, so I wonder if you have a particular thing, particular thing that you try to use on Reddit that, that is more often than not successful. It's actually pretty similar to that. It's not, you know, dumping an article and then running off, right? Not just like trying to post a link and hope it goes well. It's like you said, trying to make it kind of like you're talking to a friend or sending something to a friend and adding some context, uh, you know, including part of the article in the body to pique people's interest, responding to comments, trying to be engaged. That goes way better than just trying to milk it for traffic with uh, with very little effort. So, yeah, you, you've got to be you've got to be willing to put in the work to make it do well there. And if you don't, then, like you said, you're usually going to get punished pretty hard for it it's not going to make you feel good no it's not seriously if, if you have low self-esteem and trying to promote your stuff on reddit without a lot of care your self-esteem is going to go even lower i guarantee it it's it's ruthless out there isn't it yeah it's, it's not going to be a good time Another thing you mentioned is the influencer outreach, reaching out to people who have a network of other people that trust them, right? Uh, I, I fucking hate mm -hmm. the word influencer. I have to use it because everyone else is using it. But yeah, it boils down to people like, like you, Nat, who have a following, a network that people trust and therefore reaching out to those people and having them share your stuff or participate in your stuff it will do you good. And that's a strategy that will work in 50 years as well and in 100 years because that's how re human relationships are built. So I wonder if I give you just one type of influencer outreach to do, like, you know, if, if you have an article that you've written and you wonder, like, what is the best approach to get the biggest result? What type of people should I reach out to or how should I approach it? How do you, how would you answer this question? I would say the, I mean, the best people are going to be the ones who have some influence but who aren't in the marketing space 
And it's hard because those people might not have as big of audiences, but they won't be as inundated with these influencer outreach emails or like I get a few of these a day. And so as soon as someone sends me something like it, I just immediately archive it. I don't even read it. And that's what most people in the marketing realm are going to do too. But if you can find people who have, you know, kind of niche blogs that aren't really marketing related and who don't seem to be super serious marketers, um, they will probably respond to it much better and they'll really appreciate it. Right. Like we, we did, a, it wasn't, you know, a, a roundup article, but it was a blog roundup, right? Like the, the best tea blogs on the internet. And we sent it to everybody who was featured in it. And I'd say that, you know, half or maybe even two thirds, like loved it. And they shared it with their email lists and they shared it on Twitter. And, you know, a few of them like gave us links back to our site. Like they were so appreciative because nobody does that in that niche, Right. And so if you're, you know, going to use influencers, try to do it in an area that is not completely inundated with that influencer, those influencer marketing tactics already, because the people in those areas will appreciate it a lot more and be more willing to, I think, engage with you from it. Yeah, that makes total sense. I, I mean, I wouldn't consider myself a, an influencer. Uh, I think one of the, um, one of my guests, the previous guests where we met, we talked about influencer marketing told me I was, you know, this micro influencer type of people, which is even worse than influencer as a whole. So I'm not that much of an influencer, but I do receive a lot of requests every day at this stage. And it's very similar uh, shit. I would just. Uh, mark them as spam or just archive them depending on my mood so it shows yeah, well, you you've got a marketing related podcast so you're yeah. you're a hot target i am a fucking hot target and and please <laughs> if you send me stuff be nice and and and, and personalize the outreach because i just you can smell it from a mile away or 10 miles or 50 fucking miles away can't you yeah oh yeah um, right. So I think that's it for the step-by-step. -step. Uh, I've squeezed as much information as I could out of you. Now, thanks for playing along. Switching gears a bit about you, because I don't know you that well. I've followed you for quite a while. I know a few listeners wanted eagerly you on the podcast uh, to talk about your stuff. But I can sense from talking to you, looking at your blogs, looking at what you write, looking at all the stuff you do, that you are quite a driven person who who wants to achieve a shitloads in life and wants to do a lot uh, in a very little time. I might be wrong, you might contradict me, but I can feel a lot of ambition out of you. So I'm curious, if you had to select and pinpoint a specific event uh, that made you mm -hmm. who you are today, uh, what would it be? Like made me who I am in general or as it relates to marketing? I, it, it could be anything that you like you feel is like, you know, maybe, maybe your top personality traits is in fact, you're super ambitious. Is there, is there a story that kind of summarizes, or it could be about marketing, anything really that, that you feel kind of summarizes well, who you are as a person, as much as, a, as you are a marketer. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's hard to pick a single thing, but one thing that definitely stands out is for you know the first couple of years i think of college i definitely had the typical job mindset right where i needed to 
you know, graduate and go work for like a big company and I needed to study something relevant to what I would go work in. And, you know, I would get like a paycheck every two weeks and all of that. And then I think the junior year I did my first actual freelance work doing some of this writing and, you know, basically just creating content for another blog. And the first time I got paid for that, that was really huge because it was like, oh my gosh, you can actually do something and set a price and make money from it. You know, that's not like having to get hired and get a paycheck. And I feel like that completely changed my relationship with money and work and really started this whole cycle and interest in both entrepreneurship and marketing that's that's been going on ever since then. It's like for anyone who hasn't been actually paid for creating something of value for someone else, I think that's a huge, really important experience uh, and gives you a very different relationship with money than than just getting a paycheck. Yeah, it, it really changes a lot of things. I, I concur with that. I when I first when I sent my first invoice as a consulting uh, company like a few years ago that that really changed my mindset as well it's you start thinking about the time you're spending to deliver this value you start thinking of ways to to be more productive you start thinking of raising your prices so you can do more it, it, your mindset switches from being comfortable should i say in a comfort zone where you know you're going to get paid at the end of the month if you do something decent to being challenging yourself constantly to make sure that you get better paid and you deliver better results yeah, exactly. Uh, so what do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next uh, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? I, I would say the big thing is just, you know, learning how to communicate value, right? It's useful in content marketing. It's useful in copywriting. It's useful in sales. Uh, and I think a lot of people get to in the weeds and too wrapped up in their own understanding of something and don't know how to communicate value to a consumer who doesn't know, you know, anywhere near as much about the area as you do and practicing explaining why something is worthwhile and interesting and valuable and, you know, how it can make someone's life better. Uh, that kind of carries over into all realms of marketing, you know, whether it's creating ads, creating articles, um, creating product pages. And it's a really, really difficult skill to master. I certainly don't think that I have. It's something I feel like I have to work on a lot. Uh, but it's also a huge leverage point in pretty much everything marketing and entrepreneurial. So, you know, whether that's reading books or looking at other products online or getting someone to mentor you, that's a really amazing skill to try to get better at that I think can help pretty much anyone in marketing or entrepreneurial in general. Yeah. Amen to that. Uh, Nat, you've been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much uh, for going through all of that. So yeah, there's plenty of website to check from Nat. There's uh, your personal blog, nateliason.com. There is your podcast, Make You Think. Uh, there is also your agency, I mean, your consulting, uh, thegrowthmachine.com. Is there anything else I forgot? No, but it's actually yourgrowthmachine.com. Yourgrowthmachine.com. So, well done. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, those are all great. And I'm, I'm very active on Twitter. So you can find me there too. I'm just at Nat Eliason. All right, Nat. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much. Talk soon. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave 
and go to another podcast or listen to another episode. I don't treat email list uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a as a one to one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks. I would say we I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get and I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests and perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday so don't be afraid to subscribe I'm not going to spam you and you can always uns unsubscribe for sure if you wish the second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback we know that this show is not perfect yet and we always Uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends your colleagues or whoever might like it and also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast because if you leave us a five star review it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker So thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, came through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content is coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.